Welcome to the Warrior Women Show. I'm your host, Raina Patan. I'm an international human rights lawyer and founder of Empower Beyond Boundaries. Two years ago, I embarked on my journey to rediscover myself. It is through this journey I recognize the power of my mind to heal and transform. But it is also through this journey that I discovered the warrior woman within me. I have gone on to create the life that I always envisioned and through my experiences, I recognize that I, along with many other warrior women, are paving the way for future generations. Join us every week for inspiration, healing, motivation and total elevation. So here's to celebrating women paving the way. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Warrior Woman Show. I have here with me today Catherine Babrugi who is an advocate for dating, healthy boundaries, high standards in dating and the first ever that I've heard a red flag expert. Welcome Catherine. Thank you, Reina. I am so excited to be here. I know we've been talking about this for a very long time and I'm so excited that we can finally do this. We have been. I mean, Catherine is such a dear friend of mine and I've had the privilege to get to know her over the last year and just listening to her journey and the work and seeing the transformation that she's gone through. I think she's such a great person to come and share, um, you know, with our listeners. Uh, because the vast majority of you are women that have experienced some sort of abuse or trauma, especially when it comes to narcissistic um, abuse and, and the cycle of going through that. So, I mean, let's just get started, Catherine, because let's talk about your journey and, you know, how, what was that point where you realized that, you know, I am in a narcissistic and abusive relationship? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I guess I'll start from the end. Yeah. <laughs> I will start from my most recent relationship, and that was with my most current ex-boyfriend. And you asked, like, when did I realize I was dating a narcissist? It actually wasn't until after the relationship. Wow. So to give you a brief, maybe not so brief story <laughs> about my past, um, I met a man in Hawaii and we dated for two years. Um, he is someone, he, about, let me see, a couple months into our relationship, he told me that his mom was dying of cancer and I was devastated and she had stage four cancer. And so he had to fly back to where he was from and go take care of her. And I was like, wow, that's so selfless, that's so sweet. I, I was so amazed that he would take that time and energy to take care of his family. Cause I was like, wow, you know, like when we have kids, when we get married, like he's gonna give that same devotion to me. I was like, yeah, go take care of what you gotta take care of. So he flew back to his home state and we were doing the back and forth long distance thing for a while. And eventually I was like, well, there's nothing left for me here in Hawaii right now. 
why don't I go move out to where you are and you know we can just be closer together like you're still taking care of your mom but at least we can be closer together so I get out there and I'm I'm doing my thing like I'm a very independent woman in a lot of ways so I don't you know I, I can still work see my own friends do my own thing yeah however even me being you know five miles away from him I still only saw him once a month and he always chalked it up to, I'm taking care of my mom. You know, I'm having to work uh, night shifts now so I can see her at the hospital and then I can work at night. So I just got to support my family right now. And again, I was like, yeah, I mean, again, I would much rather you do this now so that if your mom passes away, you know, God forbid, or if she gets better, either way, like it shows me that you are able to care for your family and therefore able to care for, for my family in the future. So that went on for a while. I moved there in August of 2019. And we all know what happened the next year. <laughs> then, then March, 2020 comes. <laughs> um, and I get a text from him and he says, baby, I don't want to scare you, but I think I have COVID. And he had been feeling sick for a while. And this was, I guess I'll say it. I was in New York city. <laughs> I was in New York City at the time, and that for America was ground zero of COVID. And it was still very new. We didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And he said he had COVID and I freaked out. You know, we didn't know the survival rate at this point. We didn't know what was going on. This was, I think, a week after New York City went into a state of emergency. So everything was going on. I had just lost my job. You know, I'm for my own safety and my own well-being, I'm scared. And now for his safety and well-being, I'm scared. Um, that goes on for a little while. I think about a week, he's like, I've got this fever, like I'm scared to go to the hospital, you know, I want to go get a test, but all these things. And he, finally he was like, you know what? I, I think on Friday I'll go to the hospital. I'm gonna go to this doctor. I was like, okay, well, what hospital are you going to? And he said, such and such. Mm-hmm. But okay. And I think it was the next day or so, he texted me, he's like, baby, I'm feeling like 10% better. I was like, oh my gosh, amazing. Like, that's that's great. And after that text, I never heard from him ever again. <laughs> I can laugh about it now because it's so ridiculous, but in the moment I was, I was not okay. Yeah. Um, I, so this wasn't the first time, I wasn't that freaked out at first because there had been a pattern in our relationship of him kind of disappearing sometimes. He would go like a few days without texting me. In the summer before that, he went a f- like a week or so without texting me, like multiple times. And when I confronted him about it, he was like, oh, I've just been depressed. So me, of course, I'm saying like, oh my God, yeah, I, you know, I want to make sure you are okay. Like, I want to care for you. Like, this is our partnership. You know, if you're not doing well, I want to help you. And so at first I wasn't that scared. I did reach out to him like, hey, I hope hope you're doing okay. I hope everything's fine. I would text him every single day. And then I started calling him because he wasn't texting me back. And he said that he was sick. So I started to freak out. So after a few days of not hearing from him, I was like, are you okay? Like what's going on? I would call him, no answer. After about a week of that, I called him and his phone went straight to voicemail. And I was like, okay, in what world are you okay? Like not in a coma or something and your phone's off. So I called the hospital 
I called the hospital and asked if he was there and he wasn't there. And I was like, okay, <laughs> where could he be? And I ended up calling every single hospital I could find in the area and he wasn't in any of those places. And then there was the panic of, I don't know if my person is okay, paired with this feeling that was starting of like, I'm kind of an idiot. Like the shame started to come in right. because I recognized that I didn't know where he lived. I had never been to his home. He had always come to me because he said that he was living with his family. You know, he said his dad had this other illness. Like, so I didn't want to intrude on that because I wanted to be respectful. So I did not know where he lived. I didn't, I had never met his family. I had never met his friends because again, he worked so much. His mom and dad were sick. You know, he was working all the time, like all these things. Yeah. That at the time sounded like plausible reasons. And things just slowly started to piece together for me at that moment. Um, so I had a lot of shame starting to build up around that because what I could have done had I known his address, I could have had a wellness call with the police and they could have just gone and checked on him. Yeah. But I was like, I don't even know his address. I feel really stupid. Um, so that shame kept me from calling them for a little while. So in that in between time, I was researching his name. I looked up his name, his phone number, his email. I searched tax records in Hawaii, New York, and his home state and where he said he had lived before. Um, I went back to his college and I looked on the sports team he said he was on. Couldn't, I literally could not find anything. I couldn't find a single thing. And that's when I was like, all right, in what world is he now not answering his phone alive and is who he says he is because things are not adding up <laughs> something is not right here and finally about three and a half weeks after i stopped hearing from him i finally called the police i was like all right like i just got to swallow my shame right now like he could be dead like i i don't know i don't know what's going on he could be dead he could be i was literally checking the obituaries every single day for this man it was, it was so heartbreaking yeah. to just live in this unknown and this fear and this pain for so long. So I finally called the police and two cops showed up to my apartment and they, they were so sweet. They were very kind. I was so, especially in New York, I just assume everyone's going to be rude and like <laughs> very direct, and <laughs> yeah. but they were very, very sweet. Um, and they were patient with me and they looked up his name in New York and another state and they didn't find anything and they would have because if he really was from that place his driver's license on some level birth like something would have popped up you know what I mean right, yes they looked up his family members names nothing and I was like wow and they left and I just crumpled on the floor and just bawled my eyes out like I just felt so stupid and ashamed and hurt and rejected I was like how awful of a human do I have to be for someone to lie to me about who they really are wow 
And in the back of my mind, I just was hoping and praying that like this desperate need to still be loved. I was like, maybe he's, you know, maybe he really did love me. And for some reason he just had to lie to me about his identity. <laughs> I was so desperate for that, that what I felt was real because that's the most I've ever loved someone. We talked about marriage, we talked about kids. I was, I thought, so head over heels in love with that man. Wow. And so the thought that everything was a lie was like extremely hard pill to swallow. I was like, I'm not ready to swallow that pill. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a roller coaster. And, and, and what a way for you to, to come into actually realizing what had actually happened because not only was a, a global pandemic scare going on right and any anything could have happened but on top of that um and, and you know we were all going through our own um changes dealing with that shift of coming into a lockdown being isolated from family and friends um but then coming into realization at the same time that i have been you know, in a relationship and I don't know who this person is, you know, you're searching very frantically for them. I don't know what's happened. And then, you know, you start that, that feeling of shame and, and, you know, denial starts to creep in as well. It's, it's a lot to take in and to process, you know, how did you uh, manage to really hold yourself together through that time period? You know what? It's kind of interesting. I'm very grateful for the pandemic. <laughs> uh, that's not to diminish all the lives lost, all the pain in so many ways. Yes. For myself, I feel very grateful for it. Um, my old coping mechanisms back in the day before this happened was getting blackout drunk and having sex. So alcohol and sex were my numbing agents. Um, however, when you're in a global pandemic, you can't just go out and get drunk and meet random people. Yeah. <laughs> it really forced me to sit with everything I was feeling. And I'm also very thankful. I was living with the family at the time. Um, and they are absolute magic light workers. I swear, like they, as a family do this, um, peer counseling kind of thing. So they're very versed in like emotions and holding space. Wow. So they just held that space for me and encouraged me to go through that. So it really took a village. <laughs> there were so many times I wanted to run away, which is an, also an old coping mechanism for me. I wanted to run away, but where do you run away to in a global pandemic? Like there's nowhere to go. Yeah. There was nowhere to go and there's nothing for me to do. So I had to sit with it. Like I was forced to. And that was honestly the best thing that could have happened to me because it forced me to see everything else that has led to this moment. Yes. Wow. It wasn't just about this relationship. Like this is this is not a new incident. Like this has been my pattern for a very long time. Yeah. I'm so glad you bring that up because that's around the time that, you know, I connected with you through um, you know, a group coaching program. And it was very interesting because, you know, there was lots of people in there, but I'm very intuitive in something and your energy just drew me to it you. Mm -hmm. Um and then hearing you share more and more about your story, I recognize that we had very similar um, past experiences and patterns in relationships that we would go through. And um, I felt that connection with you. So it's interesting to see you talk about, you know, that this was not 
an isolated event. It was a culmination of many, many things and many, many experiences that I went through that led up to this, you know. I want to talk about this because for many of the women that will be listening and men, you know, um, that will be listening, I think we don't really want to look at the past patterns in our relationships and we really ignore them and we look at the one that's in front of us as an isolated event. What was that realization for you and what can you really tell people when it comes to you know the the kinds of experiences that you had that made you recognize that no this wasn't just one thing you know I went through harmful behavioral patterns that were just coping mechanisms and allowing me to survive um and it all kind of com- culminated into this moment now yeah it's a really good question um and I'm always mindful when I do speak about this that this isn't victim blaming. Everything I talk about is not victim blaming. And I think that's a touchy subject in this day and age because it can almost limit people to look at their own stuff. <laughs> yeah. But ultimately like, while I, I don't feel like I deserved what I went through, I understand that I played a role in what I went through. Yeah. Um, it forced me to really take a hard look at all of my relationship patterns and not only in my relationships, but also in my work, like my entire life, my relationships with my my parents, my coworkers, what I did for jobs, my romantic partnerships, my friendships, I had to take a really hard look at everything. Yeah. And it made me realize like, I spent my entire twenties in unhealthy relationships. My entire twenties. <laughs> all- I resonate with that. <laughs> yeah. All of them. <laughs> and, it came back with a lot of the same patterns, that feeling of desperation. I I need you to love me. It came back with feeling like I needed to fix people. Oh, I love your potential, but I'm ignoring what you're showing me. You were always showing me, someone's always showing you who they are. And if you're ignoring that and focusing on their potential, that's living in a fantasy. It showed me how much I was giving up myself to be in a relationship, AKA moving across the country for a man. That's not the first time I've done that either. Um, <laughs> definitely done that before. That's how I got to California. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it took a very traumatic instance for myself to be able to look back at like, well, how in the hell did I even get here? What behaviors and thoughts do I have about myself that allowed me to continue to choose this man over and over and over again? Because that's the thing about relationships. Just because you're in it doesn't mean that that's it. You're choosing that person every single day, every single moment. And I was choosing that person every single day and every single moment, even when he showed me who he was time and time and time again. And I just decided to ignore it. Yeah. Wow, it's really it's really important that you even uh, you know say that yeah there's no victim blaming. I think it's really a self reflection model, and I think it takes a lot of courage to go to that space and to look at well, what has actually happened? How am I involved in all of this? Because it takes two to tango, and what is my contribution towards the circumstances or the experiences that I'm having now? You know, and it's funny that, you know, you were in a pandemic that and that forced you to to really come and look at it. Um, But at the same time, it's 
seeing you recognize that the motions that you've gone through moving from from state to another state you know ignoring um, you know someone's red flags or even seeing that you want to change and shift them and then also recognizing within yourself that feeling of you know wanting to be loved and needing you know someone to validate you all the time it's really important because that's something that i can definitely resonate with you that feeling of validation i always wanted someone to validate me and i always always woke up and the first word that would come to my mind is insecure i would live my day like literally thinking over and over again like the same thought pattern would be you're not enough there's something wrong with you and you know one thing that i noticed is i actually accepted and i thought there's something wrong with me and this is how i am and this is my personality and because of that people don't want to be around me and i am not cut out for a relationship and men don't want to be with me because i behave this way right but it's really um about recognizing that that's not a normal state of functioning and for me, and, and, and I want to know kind of for you, but for me, it was like, I didn't have an example around me of a, of a healthy functioning relationship, not from my parents, not from anyone in my family. So for me to recognize that, you know, quote unquote, normal people don't feel like this in relationships, it took a friendship, right? Um, and a rekindling of a really old friendship for me to see her and her partner functioning, cohabiting, living together. Um, and I would go for dinners and, you know, these two would be cooking together and I would literally watch them and see something that I had never in my life seen or experienced. And that's the moment when I started to notice that the emptiness I would feel inside is not what they were experiencing. And I was like, wait a minute, I want to experience that too, because there was no anxiety in the relationship, there was no depression, there was no codependency, there was a very healthy bond and very healthy communication. So it really took something to show me like an opposite to say, this is not how you should feel and this is not how you just are, you know? And I wanna encourage people that if you think this is just part of your personality and your your life, it's not, okay? There is something that that is troubling you deep within. And what I've noticed over the years is it shows up in other ways because you have to, it's, it's an alarm bell. It's saying, hey, look at me, right? I'm here. You need to look at me and you need to come and tend to this wound. I mean, what was that for you? Because you you obviously have been through some things, you know, in, in, in your past. Um, but what was that for you to recognize that this is not like, how I should be feeling. You know what's interesting? I I really resonate with everything you're saying, first and foremost. <sighs> when I look back at it, I felt the same way where it's like, this is just my normal. My body had been trying to tell me my entire life that this was not okay. <laughs> like this, this hurts, this isn't good. But you know, you and I were just talking about this before we were recording as well, where, you know, we, um, I just lost my train of thought. Love that for me. <laughs> because it's normal. Just because, you know, we're used to it doesn't mean it's, it's quote unquote good or healthy or empowering us in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And I really, I think it's been a, a slower journey though. I, you know, I think in regard to romantic partnerships, it was kind of a big wake up call with my most recent ex, but I've also been doing a lot of 
self-healing work over the last almost 10 years. Wow. So I think it's just been a culmination of that. But because of that work, it's been easier for me to spot like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Like I feel awful because of this. It, I can't say that there was any like one thing that was like, oh yeah, you know, that that's how I'm feeling. And that's, 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 that's the ticket right there. Yeah. It's been a lot of in-depth work of my healing with my parents, healing with my child, my inner child, healing with forgiving old partnerships. Like it's, it's a journey. It, it can't just be one thing that shifts your perspective or heals you or changes you. Like it is showing up every day for yourself, even through the hard times yeah. and giving yourself that loving compassion. And yes, there's tools you get to learn along the way that you get to implement. And it's just a lot of practice, a lot of patience. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like one thing I always say is healing is not linear and it's not unicorns in a cloud, you know? It no. is a painful process because you're literally releasing trauma and emotions that have been sitting in your body. You know, there's a mind, body, soul concept to it and you're literally releasing so much and it's a very painful but liberating process. And if you have the privilege and to, to go through that, it is a beautiful process if you choose it to be, you know? So um, I agree with you, like to, you, you gotta really stick with it if this is something that you want for yourself. Um, what was it for you that made you really stick your guns out and say, no, I really want to go through this properly this time because you were already going through a healing journey. And then what brought you and inspired you to really come and share your story on online and uh, I mean, on Instagram, but mostly on TikTok with your amazing TikTok videos and uh, you know, you're really um, galvanizing an audience um, and uh, with sharing your message on there, you know? I really feel again that the the pandemic was a huge catalyst for my healing this time. Yeah. Because again, it, I don't think we're ever fully ignorant to what's going on within ourselves. Yes. Yet at the same time, it can be easy to ignore those things, to numb those things, and that was definitely my story of suppressing what I was feeling, numbing what I was feeling. Yeah. I just really feel like I had the privilege of being able to do nothing mm. except for myself yeah. and sit with what I was feeling and go through with what I was feeling. So it, it was just as if someone sat there and forced my eyes open <laughs> and forced me to see everything I was doing. And I also want to say like, just because that's how I went through that doesn't mean that's how maybe you have to go through that. There's other ways to open your eyes to things that doesn't have to be so dramatic and traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was interesting because what made me share my story online first was actually just trying to find him. Okay. After I had called the police and figured out he wasn't who he said he was. and. Right after I called the police, I was able to get onto the website where we met and see that he was still logged in. He had just logged in a few days before, so he was still alive and well, just not who he said he was. So I was interested in finding out answers. So I made a TikTok about, you know, if you know this person, let me know. Here's my story. We've dated for two years. Turns out he's not who he said he is. Do you know him? That didn't even blow up. <laughs> that got like maybe, I think it was 85,000 views on it. 
but no leads on it, nothing. And I made a whole story time about it because for me, I find that sharing my experiences is really cathartic for myself. Yeah. I feel like for whatever reason, I've been put on this earth to go through some things that are painful. And then it's my job to report back to the rest of the world <laughs> what I've gone through. So I made a whole long story time about it. No, nothing, no real traction from that either. I think each got like maybe 10,000 views on it, maybe even less than that. Um, but no, n nothing, like it just felt good. It was almost like a journal to just be like, here's what I've gone through. Mm -hmm. um, here's the crazy experiences that I've gone through. Here's the red flags that I noticed. And at the end, I was just saying like, if you've been through this, you know, it's not your fault. Yeah. I felt a lot of shame in this. And if you've gone through this as well, like, you don't have to feel shame. This is a crazy situation with a very manipulative, lying person. Like, this isn't your fault. Yeah. And again, nothing really happened from that. And in the midst of all of this, I was still trying to figure out who he was. Mm. So it took months and months and months of trying to figure that out. It wasn't until November of 2020 that I found his identity. And I didn't do anything with that. I had no desire for revenge. Like th there's no point in that. You know, everything you're going through is, is your stuff. And harming someone else is not, <laughs> it's not yeah. gonna do anything for you. I promise you that. <laughs> I think I've heard that saying before was like, revenge is uh, like drinking poison ex and expecting someone else to die. Yeah. You're hurting yourself. So that was never a thought in my brain. Um, I did, however, find out that he's married. Right. And I felt as a woman an obligation to tell her. I just didn't know how, didn't know where, like, I don't know her situation. I don't know. I, there's a lot of things I don't know. Is she just as crazy as him? I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I didn't do anything with that for a long time until, again, I felt compelled to share my story. I found this sound on TikTok. If you don't know how TikTok works, it is video sharing. So it's very communicative and collaborative. So you can take someone else's video, a portion of someone else's video and add it to yours. So make one video out of two videos. And I did that with the sound that said, tell me the worst way you've ever been ghosted. I was like, yeah. well, this is me. <laughs> I actually wanted to go and talk about that particular one. So I'm glad you're bringing it up. And I, I just liked the sound. I had no intention of it doing anything. I, I even made it in a subsequent video. Like I thought 200 people were going to see this. Um, that video currently six, sits at 6.8 million views <laughs> and it it was nuts to that was just surreal in and of itself like that was crazy um i don't know if you want me to go into the further portions of manipulation and intimidation that followed but um because yeah. i think that's important too and that's something i've question talking about but again the same way I feel compelled to tell my story about someone who's lied to me I think it's also important to talk about manipulation in relationships and different ways that that looks like mm -hmm. and manipulation in non-relationships and what that looks like yeah so my video blew up and yeah that in and of itself was weird I was trying to wrap my brain around millions of people seeing my story and having it be sensationalized in media outlets like it was it was weird it felt like I had to deal with my own past traumas of like not feeling in control and um people having their own opinions about me that I can't control yeah that was weird in and of itself and then a few days after that went viral I first received a 
phone call from the police department of the town he lives in. I did not answer it. I got a text message from the the lieutenant, what is it, a deputy, some kind of policeman, high up police person, saying like, this is so-and-so, I'm texting you in regard to an incident regarding your ex, he put his name in there. And I'm freaking out like, oh my God, I'm going to jail, what's happening? <laughs> it was, it was honestly, yeah, I can laugh about it now, but it was incredibly traumatic. This was only yeah. four months ago, four months ago this happened. Yeah. I've never been in any kind of legal trouble. I hate being in trouble. It's not for me. So to have now legal entities coming after me, I was like, oh my God. And um, a few days after that, I didn't, so I didn't respond to that. I did call the police department like roundabout way. I didn't respond to any of the phone numbers that contacted me because in regard to this man, my ex, I don't trust a single thing that has anything to do with him. <laughs> like I, I don't, I don't put anything past him at this point. So I, I never heard back from the police department, but a few days after that, I got a cease and desist letter saying, this is your ex's lawyer and your ex is, he filed a police report against you and he is demanding that you take down your videos, delete any comments that have his name. Oh yeah, because people, once that video went viral, people went back and looked at my original video, saw him within an hour of it going viral, figured out who he was which is mind boggling to me because I've never said his name. <laughs> Even after I figured out his real name, never said it online anywhere. Um, and people just found him. I don't know how. That's the um, for you, right? <laughs> it was crazy. It was so crazy. I, <laughs> people are amazing. Good job, people. <laughs> so, so he was claiming that People were threatening him. People were stalking him and harassing him. And he had lost his job because of this. Um, and, and now they're demanding that if I don't comply, oh yeah, if I don't take down my videos, delete comments and stop talking about it, that he's gonna sue me. And I had two feelings at the time. One was, oh my God, I don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. And the other one was, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> very like uh, uh, two conflicting ideas there. Yeah. It, it was interesting to watch that all play out. And it was hard because like, I knew I was right. I knew what happened. I know my truth. Yet at the same time, anyone can sue anyone in this country mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't necessarily matter if you're right or not. Like you have to prove that you're right. Not more so he has to prove that he's he's right, but it would still mean if I were to fight this and take this to court, that would be like one to 10 years of litigation. That would be tens of thousands of dollars. That would be my own emotional, mental, spiritual well-being at yeah. risk. And so it's like, at what point is, is being right worth it? Mm. So again, those, those feelings for me of like, being right, being seen, being heard, being understood, being in control. These are all very old trauma patterns for me that were forced to come up in this moment. Yeah. And it was interesting to see someone's manipulation play out that intensely. Like I had ruffled his feathers so much that he was willing to at least threaten legal action to intimidate me and manipulate me. And it worked for a while, it kept me silent, you know, because I didn't, 
I, as much evidence as I have for what is true and real, I wanted to be sure that I wasn't just like throwing it all away by still posting or talking about it or whatever. That all being said, this is still not resolved. This is not a resolved issue. At the time of recording this, yeah, we are it's not a resolved issue. However, yeah. I've done everything in my power to resolve it. And at this point, it's a waiting game on his end and I don't feel the need to wait on that anymore. So yeah. I feel it's important to talk about these things because I know for a fact that so many other women have gone through this. I know for a fact, whether or not it was someone lying to you the whole time, or just now someone who's manipulating you through legal action, either way, this isn't okay and you don't have to just succumb to their, their yeah. control. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you are actually talking about, you know, your journey with, you know, the law, because this is something that prohibits and prevents so many women from actually filing reports. And I wanna actually touch on something before I even continue talking then, it's, it's that, it doesn't have to be that what you're going through is exactly the same as what Catherine and her story is. The fact that someone has, um, you know, made you feel emotionally abused, traumatized, the fact that someone has, um, you know, made you feel violated in any way, the definition of abuse is very wide, right? I, I want to say that the definition of abuse is very wide abuse it's it's mental emotional psychological financial you know it, it spans a, a, a long way and it's there to be able to support you and not very many people take um you know any sort of legal action to be able to get the justice that they want and deserve and it's funny that you're you're talking about you know defamation and lawsuits because i remember way back in 2000 and um 15 now when uh, I wanted to report a sexual assault by an uncle of mine and as I was going through the year waiting for my court case to come up very uh, you know the case was a week it was very traumatizing but midway through the week I remember um, my dad asking me if you lose this case, can they sue you for defamation? Because this was someone who was a prominent figure in the community. This was someone who was working within government factions. This was a powerful individual. And for us as women to have to really think about that um, and say, well, I can't hold someone accountable for an injustice that was committed against me because I have to think about civil actions that may come my way it's absolutely ridiculous you know and to put women through that um you know you know fear of not even sharing their story i say like you wouldn't before 2020 you wouldn't have found me online because i lived my life so sheltered and so much in fear of what if i was found and what if i shared my story and what if what if what if what if and this is the same thing that you've gone through like what if i share my story and i get in trouble for it um, and i remember you know sharing this with you and saying that if women are not allowed to share their stories how can we have progression how can we have change how can we um you know see the other side of things so really really glad that you chose to really stick through and share your journey and unfortunately you know women like you and i have to take the brunt for it sometimes um so that others you know it makes life easier for others but like you in my community 
no one had ever reported sexual abuse and I come from you know a Muslim South Asian background and it's not something that is spoken about and if it is no one takes legal action against a family member that is unheard of so the whole brunt of it you know that we take is really to allow you all listening to this to say hey it's easier now because someone's done it right and someone's shared their story and and i think the more we as women collectively share the more we realize we're not alone in this right we're all going through something or the other together and there's always help and support out there for you just like the you know Catherine went through this and there was a lot of help and support out there for her um so please don't feel shame in your story there's there's no shame in in our stories and i know that it feels like that because we've all been through it you know Catherine and myself included but i find the more that i share the less shame i start to feel right um but i want to come and talk about you know like what are some things that women can do for themselves if they or rather what are some flags they can recognize for themselves if they are in relationships where they don't know if this is something that is narcissistic if this is something that is even remotely um like flouting their boundaries or like breaking their boundaries or if it is something that's making them feel like they're being emotionally abused because it's hard to recognize when you're in the midst of it all right um so what are some things that like you can share from your learnings that they can stop to be more aware of and like you know switch on yeah i mean there's definitely some pretty consistent red flags mm-hmm. um in regard to people who are narcissistic manipulative controlling etc um when i look back on my dating experiences especially with my most recent ex um something that i was really blinded by was how charming and charismatic he was mm-hmm. and i am not a therapist i cannot claim to know what disorder he may or may not have i will say though it was everything i've read about antisocial personality disorder was in alignment with his actions um so i'm not claiming that that's what he had however i just noticing similarities so that's also known as sociopathy someone who's um sociopath um and that can teeter with um narcissistic personality disorder those are you know usually coinciding with one another you know if if you have ASPD you probably have NPD as well um but i've also just dated straight up narcissists as well <laughs> yeah and the charming the very charismatic is definitely a sign of ASPD can be can be um the other thing i noticed with my ex was a lot of sympathy seeking stories that was very common that's with narcissists as well they they feed off of your attention and your desire to help them and love them so he would say these stories like his mom having cancer fyi his mom never had cancer yeah <laughs> um but you know telling stories that evoke an emotion from myself of like i want to care for you i want to help you i want to fix you those are all very telling of of a narcissist yeah and while there are these more solidified red flags for myself in my own journey what i've realized is 
the biggest thing is listening to yourself. In all of these experiences and all of my dating experiences and all of my relationships, it was because I wasn't listening to myself. And it sounds so much easier than it is, and I get that. And at the same time, your body will always tell you. I remember him being so charming. I remember him being different and I couldn't put my finger on it, but it felt, it's fine. This thing's okay. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't in tune enough with myself to recognize that even though this feeling was different, didn't mean it was good. <laughs> so I think that's the biggest thing you can do for yourself. And again, much easier said than done, but really tuning into like, how does this person's actions, how, do, how does that make me feel inside? Does that resonate with me in a positive or a negative way? Like, is that what I'm actually looking for in a partner? It, Cause you ultimately can't control what other people do or do not do. Yeah. <laughs> All you can do is recognize, manage, listen to your own emotions yeah. and self. Absolutely. One thing that, you know, I teach, uh, you know, in, in our soul alchemy program is tuning into your emotional guidance system, right? Exactly. It's something that no one teaches us to do. And, and it's, it's, so nice to hear you say you know listen to what this feels like for you because different doesn't mean good yes different doesn't mean good and you know just to add to what you said i think in terms of you know just experiencing narcissistic dating myself i've i would say one thing is making you feel like something is your fault or making you question your sanity i've been through that many times and, and it's like i i did i say that and you know i would actually start questioning it maybe i did say that you know um and also just gaslighting being very secretive about you know their personal lives one thing that i noticed uh when i w was dating someone and um at the time didn't realize i was in a narcissistic uh relation um, um dating situation was uh the secrecy around friendships and not inviting you to places or not taking you somewhere with them and at the time i didn't question it i never did until a friend of mine brought it up and she said hey like why doesn't so and so introduce you to friends and i was like oh i like i didn't know that was a thing right um so it's just the secrecy around it and that's quite similar with your story and the secrecy around everything uh, you know um it, it is is a red flag right um so be very kind of vigilant and, and not overly vigilant to the point where, you know, everything for you becomes a red flag. It's, it's important for you to know, you know, what what is that boundary of crossing into the red flag zone and what is the boundary of, no, someone might just, you know, respect their privacy, like they want their privacy respected. That's very different. Um, but, you know, it's, it's important for you to recognize that. And I, I want you to come back around and, and really share on, on coming to an end note, what is your biggest learning from all of this? And what is your message to women out there? I would say my biggest takeaway is that I really des do deserve everything I desire. Yes. <laughs> the, yeah. the relationships, this is why I, I, I preach about listening to yourself because the more I think about it and feedback into my entire life it's like I've always wanted a healthy loving relationship and I never thought I deserved it and I never like you said before never had the yeah. example of that growing up 
but that's what I always wanted. And this has made me realize the more I compromise what I really want, the more I'm going to just get into unhealthy relationships. The more I'm compromising my standards, my boundaries, my desires, it's just going to compound as time goes on. Like the more you ignore it, the worse it's going to get. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Completely agree. I would say for others, those of you listening, it really comes down to creating, developing that relationship with yourself. Like that above all else. It's, it's not that you can't be in a relationship until you love yourself. I just highly recommend that you wait to get into a relationship until you love yourself. Because <laughs> if you don't know how to treat you, how can you expect other people to know how to treat you? You're the only one who can stand up for your boundaries and your standards. You're the only person in this entire world who knows what they are completely and how to stand up for them completely. And it's not someone else's job to make you feel any type of way. Yeah. You get to choose what you feel in every moment of every day. And it's not going to change based on a relationship. If you're waiting to feel some kind of way from a man, <laughs> you're waiting for that validation. If you're waiting for that fulfillment, if you're waiting for that love, that joy, it's not going to come until you give that to yourself. Wow. So again, yeah, don't, you don't have to wait for a relationship. It's like you don't have to put it off forever until you're perfect because there's also no perfect. You also get to heal and grow in a relationship as well. It's just understanding at the very least, what do I want for myself? What do I expect for myself? What standards do I hold for myself? Do I know these things? Have I ever thought about these things? Because a lot of people never do. (laughs) I know I didn't until uh, a year or two ago. So it's really just coming back to yourself first and foremost. What a beautiful message. And I actually want to touch on this because I think most women think that they think they deserve the, they're, they're deserving of love and the relationship they actually want to experience. But if that's not being reflected on the outside, I always say your outside is a radar to your inside, right? If you're not seeing this on the outside, really come back and do some deep, deep self, self-reflection work and, and deep diving and soul searching because it is somewhere within you and it is sitting somewhere within you. So that's a really good message. And just to end like, you know, on what Catherine said that it all comes back to you, everything starts and ends with you. And if you can learn to fester and cook that relationship with yourself, it will translate in everything around you. Um, But this was so much fun. And I'm sure many, many of you resonate with Catherine's story because it is one that many of us as women have been through are going through and you know if if you do resonate with her story and you do want to reach out to her and you do want to chat and share she's more than you know welcome to to listen to you i'm going to tag her tiktok page and her instagram page um below uh this podcast episode do connect with her go check out her tiktok videos because they are not just hilarious but they're very informative and you can actually learn so much about red flags about boundaries how to set them how to communicate um and they are also like i said they're really fun to watch as well so she does them like in a really dynamic way but thank you so much for sharing your story with us and being so open and vulnerable i know it's not always easy for us to come and share but you know you're, you're trailblazing the way for many many generations to come and this is what we're all about thank you reina i'm so glad we got to talk about this you're most welcome well i'll see you all at the next episode of the warrior women show other than that um i hope that you all have a great rest of your week and um 
See you then.